Ladies and gentlemen, the following program is produced with a professional vengeance by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. Live from the soapily beautific hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. The show is True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star, executive producer of Celebrity Rehab, and the brand new show, which is called Life Changing Your Clothes. Yeah, no, come on. <laughs> it's called something. It's called Life Changer. Dr. Drew's Life Changer. Dr. Drew's uh, Life Changer. It's a week from on the 19th of September. If I didn't rather date the show, I hate dating the show. But yeah, don't date the show. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Today is 9, 10, 11. Oh, let's not talk about it. Okay. Mark Boyer is here, our fact checker, and our special guest winner of the award for the best true crime author in tight jeans, Carrie Drobin. Carrie! Hi, Hi, you didn't get hit by a truck this time, did you? (laughs) No, I'm here. (laughs) Alive and well, probably broadcasting from straddling a hog, if you'll pardon the expression. Uh, You're the only former prosecuting attorney I've ever seen on a motorcycle. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are others, but we won't go there. (laughs) Probably are. We have to calm the hogs down for a minute. Uh, Previously, uh, when you were on the show, you were at... You were talking about your book about the ATF and their rather uh, horrendous uh, <laughs> uh, infiltration of the Hell's Angels. Right. And, uh, and this one is another motorcycle thing. Uh, these motorcycle people must trust you tremendously. I, I think they must. I, I've been very fortunate. <laughs> and, and Carrie, it's Howard. How you doing? How, why is that? How well, did that happen? <laughs> I don't know how I found myself in this interesting um, situation or an interesting niche, I should say. But, um, yeah, you know, the uh, the Prodigal Father, Pagan Son, the, the second book I, I just wrote, the LT, the, the main, um, the person I wrote about, contacted me after reading Running with the Devil and asked me to write his story. And it was kind of an extraordinary conversation. Um, he called me basically sitting in his car and said, you know, I don't even know where to begin, but I'd like you to write my story. So I had never met him. I had never been to Philadelphia. I've never lived in Philadelphia, but it just sort of happened that way, and the odyssey began. Did you, I mean, did you, you know who he was when he, he called? Actually, I didn't. I, I didn't know anything about him, so, but he told me to Google his father, and, and that was helping everything. <laughs> So, so he he called. He found your number out of the. Uh, he knew well, who you were. Obviously, read the read the, uh, read the book about yeah. the Hell's Angels. No, he read he the book, this, and then he found her. You know your way around a motorcycle gang. Right. Apparently, yeah. He he read the book and went to my website and um, yeah, and, and called me up from the website. It was really kind of a, a strange phone call, but not something that I. You know, I, I thought when Running with the Devil came out, I thought it would be rather ironic if somebody called or wanted me to write the story from the inside. But I didn't. I never expected it to really happen. And so when the call came, it sort of blindsided me, and I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting, not only to take a rival gang of the Hells Angels, pagans are one of the five and a rival, but also taken from the inside. And not only was it inside, but it was really quite an extraordinary story. So, you know, I had to make sure it was legit, first of all, you know, by, by Googling his father and, and realizing that he really was the son of the, the former president of the Pagans, and just sort of starting the, the interview process. It, it took about two years. thing is, you know, I, I wasn't surprised, Carrie, because when I, when I read uh, your book about the Hells Angels, and as I said to you when you were on the show before, uh, the ATF may have been positioning themselves as, hey, we infiltrated the Hells Angels. But the Hells Angels came off much better than the ATF in that book, to tell you the truth. And, and I thought, God, I mean, this poor guy that was infiltrated, supposedly, got hung out to dry. The, the thing was a fiasco, but it, it gave an insight, and I thought the, the way you portrayed it uh, from the was almost from the inside, but it was from a, from an edge. So I can see why this guy gave you a call. I really can. So the, this guy calls you, wants to tell the story. His father is a real piece of work. Tell, tell us a little bit about the dad. Well, you know, the, the father, basically the, the whole um, idea behind the book is it, it, it has so many different themes, but one of the main themes of it is betrayal, not only personally to LT while he's growing up, but also to his own gang. I mean, he is the former president of the Pagan Motorcycle Club, and he himself betrays his own pagan club 
to become a uh, prospect and a full patch for the Hells Angels. So he turned on his own group to become the rival, you know, in the rival gang, and then he tries to recruit people from the pagans to join him over into the Hells Angels. But there was a a financial um, motivation for this transition once he got out of jail. Right. Was it when they were offering him bucks, right? You can elaborate well, he he does this because he's he's basically power a power monger. I mean, he's he sees he's an opportunist and a power monger, and he doesn't really have any loyalties to his own group. I mean, if he sees opportunity, the Hell's Angels didn't really have um, a, a territory on the East Coast. They were trying to infiltrate, and so um, you know he sees this. Mangy sees this as an opportunity to basically start his own chapter in uh, Delaware County. So he starts a turf war down there and it's an opportunity to become his own leader of his own chapter of the Hells Angels and that's he recruits what what LT calls lames you know basically the geriatrics of the group go over <laughs> and join him when they say geriatric what are we talking about <laughs> you know, the, give me a the number. Life, give me a number. Life, uh, you know, we're talking about you know in their probably early thirties, early thirties. That's geriatric for them, Howard. We're post death. <laughs> right, right. There's not a lot of life, you know, not not a long lifespan to to be a member of of any of these groups. As the there was also an aspect of um, um, of of courage. Um, that permeated this particular group that we're talking about. Like if you have the balls to do this, right? Yeah, right. these were these these were individuals that were on the outside. We're being strafed, the by the way. If you could hear the helicopter. Yes, <laughs> I hear that. So yeah, we have that happen. Necessarily, those individuals that were were cut out to be one percenters and outlaws. Right, exactly. That what, one of the accusations made um, from Gorilla, who was Minji's uh, nemesis and, and part of the pagans, and one of the allegations made was that Minji um, was really interested in just what he called fillers, people that could just fill a position in the chapter because they needed a certain number to form a chapter. So he was just recruiting what he called geriatrics and fillers, people that really didn't have any, they weren't a threat to his power because he was power hungry and he was going to lead this group. So. So that was really the the impetus. Like getting his own family, right? Exactly. Yes, he recruited his own so he could become their leader, and he didn't have any threat of being taken. Well, his former uh, pals must have been irked at this, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. To say the least. I mean, they they basically went after him. I mean, that's the impetus behind behind Gorilla um, recruiting LT betray his father. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But let's talk about this kid, the, the one who called you. He's born into this. He says, I was born into madness. Exactly. I mean, he's literally physically born into this, correct? Right, right, yes. He was born as the son of. And what's extraordinary about his story is that, and, and what I think, I hope I make clear in the book, is people, uh, what he calls misfits, are joining these clubs. They're, they're prospecting and they're, they're wanting to be part of a group, and they're wanting to belong and have an identity, and so they go through a number of initiation rites of passage to become a member of these, you know, of the pagans. But LT's story is extraordinary because his whole point in this is that I didn't get to choose. I was born into this, and I had to live this life. And there's really no, and I, there's even a chapter in the book called "No Easy Exit." There's no easy exit to the life that he lives, and that's why he has such extraordinary. Well, well, who's raising him? Who's uh, nursing him? Who's sending him off to preschool? Well, it's actually a sort of a, a, a club effort, if you will. I mean, he doesn't—he has a mother, but his, his poor mother is a, a cutter and an addict and an alcoholic, and she's just being—you um, know—she's immersed in this world too, and she doesn't really have a lot of control over what happens to LT, even though he—he he clearly loves her very much in this book, but. He's pretty much guided by by so-called mentors, and one of the the main mentors in this book he refers to as the saint, and the saint takes over, assumes the father role in this, and sort of guides him through this. But and he's really left to his own devices for a large part of his childhood. I find it fa- I found it fascinating the extent to which he uh, attributes quality. Um, to the, these two individuals, Gorilla and Saint, when in fact they're just as much outlaws as anyone else, but from 
from an inside perspective, it appeared that they had integrity within the criminal organization where others did not. Right, and he, he calls that righteousness, and he makes a, an interesting distinction between the righteous pagans and the ones who really were just there, hardcore, and they just really didn't care about anybody. And honor, so, honor among things, I guess. Is a, yeah. Can, can, I, can I ask a question? Because... I, what I, here's what I don't know. When you talk about these guys, I, I don't know much about them. And I, I always find out who we're interviewing about 24 hours before. And then I, re, get, I get to read the book after. So, so but, And I will. But, but it's, it's fascinating to me because you're dancing around, you know, what do these guys do? What, talk about the evil they do. Well, I mean, what scares you about them? Well, you know, they're part, uh, I've, I've equated, and I think this is a pretty fair um, comparison, the motorcycle gangs as a whole to the modern-day mafia. They, mm-hmm. they are the mafia on wheels. And so, of course, they're, just by their very nature, involved in a lot of criminal activity. But, but their way out is it's not club-sanctioned. So. Okay, right. so, so what kind of criminal activity? Well, I mean, there, there are certainly assaults that occur, and there are some that are highlighted in the book. There, is, uh, there are certainly um, murders that occur, and there are some that are highlighted in the book. And then there are certain um, drug transactions, and, of course, the, the government is always spying on them or wanting to catch them. In, so, in but they're not club-sanctioned. But, yeah. but when you equate it to the mafia, the mafia pretty much takes care of their own business. They kill their own. Uh, they don't kill people outside, in, you know, unless they've, they've somehow come inside. Right. When you say these guys, the assaults are committed and even murders, are they they're outside the club and inside the club? Well, they they mostly do sort of uh, glom onto their own, but there are some assaults that are highlighted in the book that have happened to you know regular citizens, um, and that's sort of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And what I mean by certain acts that were club sanctioned versus some that weren't. I mean there were things, for example, that. Um, according to LT and what's in the book that Gorilla did that were not club sanctioned. For example, if uh, somebody disrespected um, his girlfriend or his wife, he, he would go after them. And those were, were done on what he called personal time. So those were certainly assaults against people who were not part of the club. And then there was another assault that's um, depicted in the book against um, a transvestite, you know, who just happened to be in the neighborhood and happened to look at somebody sideways. So, you know, those are kinds of the, you know, their, their whole motto was um, ruling by terror. They, were, they had a terror campaign going, and that's what the, the general public viewed them as. You know, they, they just sort of um, would commit these things, these crimes, and there wouldn't really be a, a rhyme or reason to them. So I'm then, walking, I'm, let's say I'm walking down the street, and all of a sudden uh, around the corner comes this group. What do I do? I don't look at them. <laughs> Probably they're not going to bother you. Well, I mean, but it sounds like they might. You know, if I let's say I look at one of them wrong, or I, I, I ignore them, maybe they're insulted if I ignore them. What do I do? I'm just average Joe. What do I do? Well, in in that scenario, I mean, they're they're not likely to attack. I mean, I think you have to do something that's going to dis- either disrespect them as a person or disrespect their club code. Um, for example, knocking down their bike, you know, if, if their bikes are lined up around the perimeter of a bar and you happen to knock down their bike, now you've disrespected the club. Um, if you, you know, uh, disrespect their girlfriend or, or what have you, there are a number of scenes in the book that sort of describe that. There's a, a bar scene where um, one of the patrons disrespects the, the woman behind the bar and he winds up being murdered for it. Um, so there's, you know... There, there has to be some kind of provocation. So it's not just you're walking down the street and you're going to get attacked. There's going to be some provocation. And you have to keep in mind that um, many of them, several of the higher-ups, for example, the saint, he, he runs a business and a pretty reputable business in Delaware County. He runs a tattoo shop. and you know, So he's got lots of regular customers and patrons, and he's very successful. And a lot of the, the pagans are. So you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that they're, they're just going to be these these. Right. You know, wild cards out there. You, you really do have to. Right, but the, yeah. Back to the you know the the analogy to the modern day mafia. The mafia is pretty well calculated when they're going to take somebody out. They're very careful about it for the most part. Are these right. guys just as careful? Yes, they're they're organized criminals. They they are careful. They have what's called um, church meetings 
they call it church, but they're actually club meetings that are held in warehouses or garages or wherever they, they hold the club meetings where they take care of club business. And, and that's where they do organize what they're going to do, either against rival club members or against you know their own that they call rogue outlaws. Are they? Uh, let's, let's talk about. Are they patriotic? Um, or does that does that do, 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 does patriotism enter into it, and does religion enter into it any place? Um, well, I seriously doubt that. They have a code that basically is bike club, um, dogs, women, kid, and then God is somewhere on the bottom of that. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Now, I've, I've never had any unpleasant experience. I've interacted uh, numerous times with various uh, motorcycle gangs, and I've never had any problems uh, with them. Uh, I've been protected a few times by them, so I, 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 I haven't had any negative experiences. Uh, and I'm sure we've all interacted one time or another with various degrees of organized crime, uh, especially in your industry, Howard, and uh, you've emerged unscathed, and perhaps you didn't even know you were dealing with organized crime. Well, me with organized crime? <laughs> well, you're in show business. Uh, I, I am in show business, and I was was in the music business for a long time, but well, that I, I, that. I can't say that I had anything to do with anybody in organized crime, bro. That's probably because you didn't know it. Uh, oh. LT's uh, okay. father went to visit. Are you, the, oh, are you, are you going back to the book? <laughs> yeah, he's back to the book. Is that what you're doing? Back to the interview. No, this is the, this is still the interview, because I'm finding Carrie rather interesting. <laughs> the book will take care of itself. <laughs> Am I wrong, Carrie? You you are interesting. I, well, I mean, yeah, you, you, you have had a you've had an incredibly interesting career, and I've. Yes, and, and so I'm hijacking the interview for two seconds. <laughs> Go ahead, Howard. To well, to make sure that everybody knows who we're really talking well, to. I have a question for our author. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, what am I in charge now? I call on you. Okay, Mark C. G. Boyer. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, do you um, do you feel that your Elevated writing over LTs detracts from some of the authenticity of the material, or detracts from it. Um, I, I didn't even get that question. Well, she <laughs> writes much better than he does, and it kind of takes you out. Well, of the, that's what she does. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's the reason he called her. <laughs> sort of takes you. Sort of took me out of it a bit. Yeah. Well, no, and I know what you're saying. I think it's it's uh, it's definitely set apart from a lot of the biker books out there, um, and and you know it's it's interesting when when LT and I collaborated. You know, he we had a, a system where he basically I interviewed him for two years every Sunday for two hours, and and then I finally met him and and we had a long, you know, three day concentrated time of, of interviewing and getting all the details right and and basically he would tell me his story and and I would write it and you know it was it's I, I don't know if, if you can really appreciate how extraordinarily difficult it is for somebody to recount their life story. In, in Especially when this is horrible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if somebody asked me, you know, could you tell me your life story? I don't know that I could pinpoint pivotal points in my life, which is why it took so long. Heck, to, I can do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Wasn't it July 18th of 62? No, I can't give you dates, Mark, but I mean, this, this woman fascinates me to no end. That's why I'm interested here. I, oh, you I know, saw her pictures. I saw, well, that's the end of the story right there. That's the, that's yeah. the end of my yeah, story. The most famous true crime author in tight jeans. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she appreciated that, bro. That's, this, this woman studied. Did you really study with Edward Albee? Yes, I did. That was a, a really interesting experience. I was, uh, for a few seconds, I actually started in theater and thought I wanted to be an actress until mm -hmm. I, I wrote, you know, studied with Edward Albee, and, and he's the one that basically said, you know, maybe you ought to be behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, you know, if, if Edward Albee, nice. if, if that guy came up to me and said, maybe I ought to be behind the scenes, and, and by the way, that's where I live, is behind the scenes. This is this is a rare yeah. personal appearance. But but it's, it uh, Wow. That's a big yeah. wow. Yeah, come on. That was extraordinary. And he really, I think he did me a great favor, you know, by telling me that. Because he was right. That's where I really wanted to be was a, a writer, you know, crafting the people's stories. So, yeah, I mean, so to answer your question, I agree. I mean, the, the writing is definitely, you know, I, I think it, it, it makes LT look good. And I think that it, it definitely captures his story in a way that, you know, I don't know that, that, that he might have been able to do it. Well, oh, I, I think that that goes without saying, and I think that you know, and, and I will get to the book this week, and I'm looking forward to it. And and 
I know I'm going to see that because I, I know I know more about you than the book, which and I can't wait for the book. So, but the the, the question is, how, so how do you go from Edward Albee into becoming a lawyer, and then a lawyer into becoming somebody that gets into this part of it all? Well, um, you know, it sort of happened just by happenstance, actually, because the recession hit when I got out of graduate school and. Um, you know, couldn't really find a job as a writer anywhere, so I decided to go to law school. And then in law school, I was captivated by criminal law. So I became a, a trial lawyer and a criminal lawyer, and, you know, the stories, people's stories fascinated me. And, and actually what particularly fascinated me was not just their stories, but what motivated them, you know, what made them tick. And so that's really what, what got me into writing but the true crime part you know the motorcycle gang part really was complete just chance you know I, I was approached by the operatives in the running with the double case and they asked me to write their story and I, I didn't really know or think that I could do it at the time but you know that also took another sucked another you know a couple of years out of my life and then wound up <laughs> doing the pagan book so it's you're, you're going to be known as the Motorcycle Mama. we got to take a 60-second break. We'll be right back with Carrie Drobin, uh, author of the new bestseller, Prodigal Father, Pagan Son. We'll be right back. There are some things in life that just don't go together. But listen to this. You take one drop-dead gorgeous woman. You add an incredibly wealthy, handsome man. You put them together. They have all the money, clothes, jewels, drugs, alcohol they could possibly want. Well, then you throw in a Glock 9mm handgun. It's all good fun until someone gets killed. Fatal Beauty, the shocking true story of beautiful Rhonda Glover, who put 13 bullets from a Glock 9mm into her boyfriend of 15 years, Jimmy Jost. Oh, she said he was abusive. The friend said he was passive. Either way, he was dead. Fatal Beauty, available January 2011 from Pinnacle True Crime by Burl Bear, living legend, true crime author, and trust me, he's brilliant, I know it, because I am Burl Bear, author of Fatal Beauty. If you own an iPhone or ride the plastic pony in front of Kroger, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application, the smoking, drinking, interrupting, did I say interrupting? 24-hour party that you follow. Now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes App Store. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Ah, yes. I am the legendary Burl Bear, taking time Featuring out of... Mark C. I knew that was going to happen. I was just waiting, just waiting. And what? <laughs> you got more, Matt? He's going to sneak it in here. I know it. I just know it. And sometimes him. Marie Mackey, <laughs> Esquire. I wonder who produces this show. Produced by Magic Matthew <laughs> Allen. <laughs> who in turn is produced by... Oh, we're back. Okay. <laughs> I'm Lori Downey Jr. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I get to take... What do you get to take? You get to take, I, I take the, the, the Dostromi. The, the, the Don Walvin chair. But, okay. Uh, you know. Anyway. We have Carrie Drobin, uh, crime hottie, mystery babe, award winner. She's won awards, and I mentioned her oral skills, but it sounds weird. But she's won the oratory awards and uh, all sorts of stuff, and writing awards. And her new book is uh, Prodigal Father, Pagan Son. The father and the son are a piece of work. Isn't the son supposed to kill the dad at one point? <laughs> Yes, yes, he's recruited by his by the father's nemesis in the the pagan game gang, basically to to murder his father. But does does he think this is a swell idea? Um, you know, he has his own reasons for for helping Gorilla or wanting to be a part of it. I mean, LT's uh, vendetta against his father is personal, really. He's he had a what he called a three strikes rule. He, he has this for everybody, not just his father, but his father was particularly. Um, 
brutal to him oh. growing up and, and basically gave his father three chances and on the third chance the betrayal was too extreme and so he agreed to assist Gorilla. But his other reason for, for wanting to do that was he didn't want Gorilla to be left with the impression that somehow LT had assisted his father in the planning of the shooting. LT was was shot multiple times. No, Gorilla was shot. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry, Gorilla was shot. <laughs> Gorilla was shot multiple times, wound up in the hospital. They could never figure out who you know, who shot Gorilla and then uh, Gorilla pieced it together and they, they wound up realizing that it was some members of a street gang who apparently were commissioned by LT's father. So it was, became this very complicated um, triangle. Yeah, it sounds like uh, we got to get take care of all the family's enemies here. <laughs> I find it fascinating that he got shot that many times, nine times or so, and survived. Yeah. No, that's never happened to you. <laughs> no, I was I was shot seven times. Okay, but, but nine's a bit extreme. Now, for it's someone like, in the music industry, I'm surprised you weren't shot twelve times. <laughs> I've been shot forty-seven times. <laughs> yeah, all euphemistically, and they were yeah. painful. Oh God, yes. <laughs> God, were they? No, Tom no, Green shot him painful. three times just by himself. Now, sixteen times. Sixteen times. Yeah. Oh, I, I sit corrected. Okay. Uh, I love these people's names: Mongo, Gorilla. <laughs> who? Who? Their mother don't give them these names, do they, Carrie? No, no, these become their monikers, you know, and if you look at pictures of Gorilla, you can kind of see how he got that, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, do they earn these? I mean, at some point in their life, like they have a bar mitzvah, they say, today you are Mongo, today you are Gorilla. You know, I don't know that they earn them, but they become just sort of known by them. You know, LT, for example, is, is really Little Tony, and he sort of had that name given to him when he was little because nobody wanted to call him Big Tony. <laughs> right, exactly. So he was a junior, so he became LT, Little Tony, or the kid. Um, so, they, yeah, they all sort of acquired their monikers through some of the habits they did. Now, did he go to school? Yes, he did. He went to uh, elementary school and he got expelled at age eight. Mm, not a big um, surprise. <laughs> for what? Do you, do you know for what? Yes, actually, he mooned somebody on the playground, and at that time... That, <laughs> that was, was the beginning of his, 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 his downfall? <laughs> mooning somebody yeah, on the playground? Yeah, I, I should be on death it. row right now. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm mooning Howard right now. <laughs> there yeah. are some pretty funny... Uh, there's a pretty funny story in there about that, you know, about how he winds up getting expelled and, and winds up being taught, passed from his mom to his grandmother to, you know, and nobody can seem to figure out what, you know, why he won't behave, why he's so incorrigible. But um, maybe it's because he's being raised by an outlaw motorcycle gang. <laughs> right? Yeah, he doesn't have any stability in his house. You know, he doesn't have anything really. And the, and the irony there too is, is his next door neighbor. I think the, the kid that lives across the street from him is the son of a cop. So, that must so what up. motivated him to uh, remove his pants? Fun. <laughs> No, seriously. You know, I I don't really know. Um, probably just mischief. I I don't know. Or I just wanted to say the word pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's wanted a long time to use the phrase "remove pants" remove on the pa program. Yeah, yeah. This was the first <laughs> opportunity <laughs> he had. Slip it in there, Gary. Thank well, you, you very know, much. He was exposed, not to use a pun, but he was exposed <laughs> yeah. to a lot as a, as a child. You know, so he. He probably was. And that's another thing. There was a lot of pretty weird behavior going on around him that he probably yeah, saw that was a bit confusing. Yes, I'm sure there were, you know, at any given time, there were multiple people lying on his, you know, living room floor, just sort of crashing there, shacking up. There were there was drugs everywhere in his house, sometimes in bowls, sitting on the coffee table. In bowls? Um, in you know, bowls. In case you wanted to help yourself. Yeah, but do right. you know what like a bowl like of drugs costs? <laughs> Well, it depends on the drug. Oh, it yeah. can be the cheapest drug. Do you know what a bowl of the cheapest drug? A bowl of aspirin's expensive. Yeah, probably a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a lot of drug trafficking. And wow. Drugs. So when did he start uh, using? Well, you know, according to, the, to what he told me, he started really doing marijuana probably when he was about eight. Now that's uh, typical. So that's mooning yeah. period. Right. See, now it's all yeah. coming together, Carrie. Right, right. Well, he had to have something to help him cope, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but he did, he did do drugs, you know, throughout a lot of the the story, um, and a lot of it was really he. There's a, a, I think, a pretty sad scene in the book where he calls it his happy spot, where he goes and and just you know does drugs at his happy spot, and it's really his only escape from the world that he's in. Yeah. Well, that, where, where was the happy spot? 
No, it's somewhere in Delaware County. So no, he had a like a refuge, right? Right. Yeah. So you never found that place. No. Okay. He didn't take. Well, that's his private spot. Well, yeah, but I, she she's gotten an awful lot from this guy. For maybe she knew where the happy spot. It's a very private thing, Howard. <laughs> I don't question. show everyone my happy spot. And nobody <laughs> wants to see your happy spot, Pearl. You'd be. We're getting a little frisky today. So you know, <laughs> Carrie, my God, look what you brought out in us. Yeah, that's just, I know. That's because of those pictures, Carrie. Is, uh, how many times have you said that, Pearl? Is that enough. <laughs> okay. I would put an end to it now, or sexual harassment's on the way. Well, you, you can't just. Just blame me. If you go to Carrie's website, which you could, CarrieDrobin.com, there's this, like, rotating gallery of, you know, scintillated. Here's here's Carrie dressed as an attorney. Well, you're not here's, stopping, are you? Here's Carrie dressed as a motorcycle baby. Oh, listen it's, to this. <laughs> um, when, Why don't you totally humiliate our guest? When, when do you get dressed as a uh, as a uh, interviewee of an outlaw crime show? <laughs> That's what she's doing right now. Radio shows, yeah. you know? Are you now asking her what she's wearing? <laughs> you know, you know, Mark. <laughs> what that is, is the only interview of this kind you've had? Isn't it, guys? <laughs> You're having fun, aren't you? Are you having fun? Are you okay? Or are you uncomfortable? I, I am having fun. No, okay, I, good. I appreciate you giving me a second chance here. <laughs> the first fiasco. Well, that was just because you were hit by a truck. What? Because this was before my time on the show. What happened with the truck? Now she was booked as a guest on our show uh, to yeah. call in to talk about uh, running with the devil, or right. what it's called. And we're sitting here waiting, and the phone doesn't ring. And the phone doesn't ring. We can't figure out what happened. I call her house. I call her cell. Nothing. So we did the show without her. You know, we talked. Talked about the book, sure. And then I get a message the next day. I'm awfully sorry. I didn't get out of the hospital until ten o'clock at night. <laughs> All right. So what the heck happened to you? Uh, oh, I, I got rear-ended by a truck and wound up uh, obviously not being able to to call in. It felt really bad because it was actually I thought kind of humorous. I listened to the interview afterwards. You were bouncing off one of your. Uh, I don't know, producer, and they're basically pretending that the producer was me and asking questions back and <laughs> Yeah, we had Judy, actually, we had Judy Faye pretend she was her, and we'd ask her questions, she'd read the answer. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we had fun with it. Then she called, we had her in a couple weeks much, later. Much more fun yeah. having her here, yeah. just to discover. This probably is radio good. show's worst nightmare, right? That's yeah, well, that's the thing about not having live a radio. Guest? Oh, there's been some guests we wish we didn't have. No, I can't remember any. <laughs> Except for, well, maybe on Matt's show, where Matt had to beat him up, but we haven't had to beat up any of our guests. Actually, we've had a good run. Yeah, we have. Matt did have to beat up one of his guests once. One of the things we do, and I know Burl will be very happy about this, if you ever get to Los Angeles, we'd like to have you in, in, uh, in our Lighten Up Lounge in person. So oh, that's an that. invitation that we always, uh, if you ever fly here, you got to say, you know what? all the way in where, Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I'm not saying buy a plane ticket tomorrow, but if you happen to be coming over, you know, we're well, here. We're it's not, Saturday. We're the show tomorrow. <laughs> if she came tomorrow, I would come over and do the show tomorrow. And we could bank a good show. Yeah, we'd have one in the can, so to speak. Absolutely. So meanwhile, in the world of motorcycle gangs, how are they responding to this book? Are they mad? Are they glad? What's the response? Or can they read? But that's another good question. <laughs> you know, um, I think for the most part, it's been a pretty positive reaction. I think there are definitely going to be those, and there have been those that have, uh, you know, written in and said, you know, true story, no way, can't believe this is a true story, which I find really kind of amazing because it's not their story, it's LT's story. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. for them to weigh in on whether or not this really happened, I find extraordinary because there's there's no way that that LT would have spent two years telling me some very personal stuff about his life. You know, he was he was raped, he did drugs, he, you know, basically was, was hired by Gorilla to go murder his father. I mean, you just don't make up this stuff. So I think that for those people that have weighed in on in, in that respect, um, really don't know what they're talking about or are jealous. And I think that there have been, there's been some of that. So I think from, from LT's perspective, he's probably gotten much more of the heat than... How accurate do you think the material is? And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to ask that question. I'll let you answer. Then I'm going to tell you why I asked it. Okay. Well, you know, it, anytime somebody tells me their story, I like to get cooperation because it's it's always easy, I think, for somebody to embellish and and you know give me something that's that's not um, based in fact. And so what I did to cooperate some of LT's story was to talk to some of the other members. I mean, I talked to his mom. I talked to the saint. 
Um, I interviewed the saint at length, actually, and he was a wonderful resource, a great storyteller in and of himself. I mean, he could probably have his own book. Um, and then I, I also did a lot of research. There's a lot of newspaper articles on this, especially corroborating a lot of Gorilla's role in this. So it, it, it came from a variety of sources, and I I'm, feel fairly confident that what else he was telling me really is based in fact. So not you not only went at it as an author, but as a journalist. <laughs> Very good. No, it seems like you did. Now, I'll tell you something. I found remarkable similarities between this story and that of Anthony DiDonato's book, uh, Escaping the Mob. Oh. He uh, he was in the mob from when he was a kid because his uncles were in it, the neighborhood people were in it. He was in from when he was a kid until he was probably in his, uh, his 30s. And then... Uh, all what he always thought was like this code of these people behind you that there was this courage involved he decided it was a bunch of bs that they weren't really there for him that it was all a big egotistical con job and he could choose to get out and it seems like this guy's saying the same thing am i correct yeah no that's exactly what his conclusion was that basically it was just a you know uh a mirror, a smoke and mirrors. You know, they they lure you in, and it's a toxic environment. And there's really only three ways to get out: it's death, prison, or you you basically live on the run, which is what he's done. So yeah, that and that's one of the reasons I think. I mean, he knew that coming into this when he wanted me to write his book. He knew that he wasn't going to glorify the club, that he was going to be saying some stuff that was very controversial. But in the end, this isn't the life that he wanted, and this isn't the life that he thought people should choose. Now, does he think that is one of his motivations for doing this? I mean, is he traveling? Is he speaking? Is he trying to keep other people from making the choice of going into this lifestyle? Yes. In fact, that was a huge uh, motivating factor for him to actually write this. And that's one of the reasons that, that I took his story on, because I didn't want to write a book that glorified the club or, you know, that was basically going to be his his one you know, shining moment. Yeah, let me his, tell you about his, the glory days. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I, I didn't have any interest in doing that, but his his reason for wanting to do this really was to give other people in his situation some hope. And he has been traveling. In fact, um, this book was bought by Australia and Great Britain and New Zealand, and he traveled in uh, June over to Australia. It was the first time he ever went out of the country. He had an amazing time over there. And um, he just talked about his life and you know, got to see the world for the first time. So it's quite extraordinary. In fact, if people want to see that, Mark, you uh, you watched the Australian TV interview with him, uh, didn't you? It was a radio interview. The radio interview. Yeah, you I watched the radio, the radio interview. It looked great, didn't it? Where, where did you find that? Do you recall? Yes, on the Internet. Well, duh. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't remember specifically. Like maybe maybe she knows. But, but if you do a search for that, you can find it and listen to it. There were some yeah. local ABC affiliate uh, interviews also, but they links were broken. Oh, that's too oh, bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there's one on my website, too, that I, I put hey, on Carrie. But the one that in Australia was the full hour interview. Yeah. yeah. Carrie, you're, you're a big fan of Lord of the Flies, yes? Yes. How do you see this, this the Lord of the Flies story laying over the, this this story? That's a really interesting question, because I, I've, I mean, Lord of the Flies, I, I've compared to so many things. I mean, I, in most recent times, to bullying in the schools, but... Um, I think there's a lot of overlays to this. I mean, it's it's about a group of, you know, people that don't like outsiders, that want conformists, that want people to come in and, and, you know, aspire to their particular code of conduct. And if you're not part of their code of conduct, they're going to eat you alive, basically. And that's, um, I see there's a lot of parallels. And that's why that book is so extraordinary. Bullying. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually, I wrote a blog about it on my website. We'll hear about the blog. We'll hear about the bullying. We're going to take a 60-second break. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. Barbara Opal promised her 14-year-old daughter a brand-new dirt bike if she'd murder her employer. You know that. It's my book, Mom Said Kill. The kid didn't get the dirt bike. Well, guess what? The book is now available as a digital download from Barnes & Noble. Mom Said Kill by Burl Bear, the new digital edition. And you know what? Even in the digital edition, the kid still doesn't get the dirt bike. Mom Said Kill by me, Burl Bear. And I love me to pieces. Who in turn is produced by Laurie <laughs> Downey Jr. 
And now some of the aforementioned true crime uncensors. Uncensors, yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. That was the uh, longest setup of the day. <laughs> Do we get a call back to Jerry Lewis in this? Wow. Any second now. Amazing. That was great, Matt. Uh, I'm Burl Bear. Oh, that's it. There was Jerry Lewis. Uh, Mark Boyer, fact checker, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star. I'm Burl Bear, Carrie Drobin, and Ty Jeans. Uh, prodigal oh, father, Bacon said, let's talk about bullying for a moment. <laughs> so why, why, why the interest in bullying? Well, you know, I, I really, I think it's a systemic problem in our, um, in our culture, probably has been, always will be, but there doesn't seem to be a way to control it or a way to um, stop it. And I became interested in it just, you know, from a school perspective and seeing um, students, certain students being targeted and bullied. And, you know, when you go to the administration and you tell them this is happening, they, they don't do anything about it. Everybody's so afraid to take a stand. They're so afraid because of liability. They, you know, they need to have absolute solid proof that, you know, some kid got slammed into the wall. And, and you know, so it, it, it became a personal vendetta for me. <laughs> Personal, so it got very personal. Yes, it was very personal, and I and I wrote a blog about it. But I compared it to Lord of the Flies, just right. sort of this, you know, impossible. And, and there's, it's just impossible to stop. There's been a lot of research on how to create a bully, mm-hmm. uh, and almost all bullies operate out of actually a sense of fear. Right. And they they see someone who is weaker than they are, and it reminds them of when they have felt weak and vulnerable. Almost all bullies have been bullied, uh, have been intimidated. And it's a way of regaining somehow that, that, uh, that the, the old Milton Layden theory of, uh, of hostility, where you only become hostile when you have a, a lowering of status. But, but not being slammed in the wall, you know, my son was being bullied, but they were doing it, um, you know, it, it was absolute... Verbal, psychological. I mean, they were going at it, you know, without touching him. And then, uh, and it was just his turn when it was happening. You know, oh, like yeah. it was going. It goes around the schoolyard at, at the time he was 11 years old, and when it stopped on him, he turned and clocked one of those guys. At that moment, the teacher saw it. And they have a no tolerance on physical violence. So he got in trouble. So well, he got in trouble. They call us in, and I go, okay, well, I understand you have the zero tolerance. You're going to throw him out of this, the class. Oh, b- by the way, what is your policy on, on psychological bullying? Is that in your manual there? And uh, she goes, well, yeah, no, we've got, uh, we, we don't stand for that. I don't, I go, but hang on. Is it in the manual? Because he was being psychologically bullied, and I've been telling the school that this is going on totally ignored it now i i got i got everything re- you know and i said you're about to reward the bullies by tossing my kid hey, that's exactly what happens and that's exactly what my experience was too they rewarded the bullies and and i i mean i i completely agree with what you just said Burl, because it's the bully is acting out of fear but they so traumatize the child that they're bullying that that child then develops issues or mm-hmm. problems and usually anxiety issues. Or, sure, or the way I, I was horribly bullied when I was in grade school. So what I did was when I was in middle school or junior high, as they called it then, I went back to my grade school playground and looked and I would see the bullies bullying another kid. Now, I'm just a little bit older. And I would walk over and grab them by the neck and say, I know where you live, and if you ever do this again, I'll kill you and your parents. <laughs> and that's how you became a true crime author. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. K- K- Carrie? The look of terror in their face was wonderful. <laughs> Carrie, the, the, are, the, are the bikers just a bunch of bullies? Well, I think there are certainly bullies in there. I mean, I, I think that Gorilla is a bully. I think Mangy was a bully. I mean, that's why they they uh, gathered their minions around them, you know, so that they could control them and tell them what to do. And I think that in, in many ways, LT, you know, followed or, or had to do what Gorilla wanted him to do, at least for a while, because there would be repercussions if he didn't, you know, until LT took the courageous move and and got out of the club but you know now he has repercussions for getting out of the club so it was just a, a systemic problem i think mangy you know gathered his fillers and his quote-unquote lames to join him because he didn't want anybody to usurp his power so it, it really is all about power and, and about you know control and having 
people follow you. Well, he may be in the same situation as, as I mentioned, Andrew DiDonato, and I said to him, you know who's five foot three, blonde, has long blonde hair and large breasts? And he said, no, who? And I said, you, if you got any brains. Because <laughs> 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 these people have to kill you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, I think, for, for the person being bullied to stand up to the bully. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, it's the bully's always winning in this. And so, yeah, that, that's a... So you said you you had, you had a personal situation with with. Uh, yes, I mean this this was a it it took a, basically a year of my life trying to fight it in the school system. It's a very similar problem where there's you know one kid who you target as the bully who's just traumatizing the other kids around them. So was, was this a son? Yes, it was is it, my son who was completely traumatized and, and bullied by this 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 child in the school system and I could get nowhere and it was a sort of the same problem you know there's no way to prove it you know I mean the kids slammed my son into a wall and there's no way to prove it because nobody no none of the other children will go to bat you know they've witnessed it but they can't you know they can't dare come forward because uh, if they come forward uh, then they're uh, targeted how many times do you want to call LT and say I, I need you to make a pitch stop for me <laughs> Can you and the boys just just go sit outside a house just for twenty minutes? Go to a great schoolyard. Yeah. <laughs> this kid, I want right, you to deal I with. Know. I mean, uh, my God, did they have a clue as to who they were? Whose kid they were bullying? Well, I know it's incredible. I, mean, I know it's like, I, yeah, exactly. It was, well, it was the most frustrating experience. I ever if had. this is any encouragement to you, when when I was a kid going to grade school, there was a, a kid who was a horrible bully, and what it was is his mom had passed away, and after that, uh, he had his kid rash problems, it was an emotional wreck, and he became a terrible bully. Well, over the summer, uh, a couple years later, his father remarried, and the next year, at school, first day of school, the kid gets up in front of the class and apologized to everyone for having been a bully. It was the most amazing thing. He just, like, laid it all out. I was horrible. I was mean. I beat people up. I want you to forgive me. I was messed up. I'm going to try to be... And he wound up being, like, student body president later on. I mean, it was a total transformation because there was, again, a mother figure in his life. He had love in his life, and everything changed. Wow. And uh, that, really, that really made an impression on me. And, of course, I still remember to this day that the kid did that, and that was, like, in fifth grade. And that kid's name was George W. Bush. <laughs> No, it was Saddam Hussein. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty. I think that's probably the anomaly. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that there are too many bullies that would you know own up to that. But that's that's great that he did. Yeah. Well, but, you know, bullies usually do that when they meet a bully that's bigger. Yes. Right. Right. They're misunderstood people. But yeah. uh, um, we 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 take uh, Mangy and this bully premise. And he goes to visit the mob early on in his tenure as chapter president of the uh, of the pagans. Right. We want to fill us in on that visit. Well, he has a pretty good relationship with the mob. I mean, they, you know, they're they're engaged in in drug trafficking. So he his method or his way of keeping people at bay is, you know, he's pretty. I guess he's pretty diplomatic, for want of a better word. And so that's how he keeps the mob in his pocket, you know, so they work well together. Um, but he originally went to visit them for the first time, and he said, uh, this is our city. If you right. want to do any business here, you go through us. Right, exactly. So the mob used them. I mean, they used the, the pagans as sort of their foot soldiers. Right, but that's what Manji wanted. Right. Right, they had a good working relationship, exactly. Kind of reminds me of the... He approached them as the bully. Yeah. Well, right. it's, it's kind of like the the Byzantine Empire, where the uh, the uh, what was it the the Huns kept coming over the border and raiding the place. So the emperor goes to them and says, "I got a job for you. I want you to do border security. <laughs> I'll pay you right. to do border security." And that worked great. <laughs> are you going to continue to do Hun material? Yeah, I, I know the Huns are getting upset that yeah. I keep doing Hun material. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Okay, hon. <laughs> that hun do list. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was a very smart um, working arrangement. You know, they, they weren't going to get rid of each other, so they had to find a way to be useful to each other. Well, it's the same thing here with the L.A. gangs, the blood and the crypts. They had the red and the blue, and they came up with a new slogan, red and blue make green. In other words, if we work together, we make more money. There you go. Right, right. So, yeah. so Carrie, what's next? Well, um, I have another book, totally different um, 
genre now. I, I went to actual true crime. So another book coming out in January called The Socialite Scorned, and that was a true story of a, a bombing that occurred in Tucson um, between a... It's actually called the, the Murder of a Tucson High Roller. His ex, ex-wife was uh, alleged to have murdered him or to have hired a hitman to blow him up. Hmm. And? Yeah, totally different genre. <laughs> is, it a true, is it a true story? Yes, true story. Uh, so this is allegedly. There was no uh, no trial? Well, I have to say allegedly because her trial is in January. Ah. <laughs> well, the book happens to go out in January. Good work. That's right. good How did you manage that one? See, my, my publisher won't let me get away with that. That's great. <laughs> I actually had nothing to do with that. That was no, just sort of coincidence. You know how that works, bro. You never have anything to do Well, no, they, if I go to do it, they say, we don't want to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> you know, make sure all the appeals are exhausted. Right, I know. This well, you had that one down there in, uh, well, not you, but there's that one in San Diego where the woman was uh, uh, convicted of poisoning her husband because the prosecutors wanted to star in a true crime book. And, <laughs> and it turns out that, uh, you know, the uh, on appeal uh, and the pressure was put on, the prosecutors admitted that, uh, well, yeah, we knew she was innocent all along, but she was a great case. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, she's now able to sue the prosecutors for something like $12 million. And wow. uh, ooh, you are a highly renaissance person. And I, I've tried to kind of bring that out today. What what is it that it really inspires you? Well, you know, I I am always on the warpath for for justice. I I hate to see you know I, I I I represent the downtrodden in in what I do as a criminal defense attorney, and so I'm inspired by stories where people either do courageous things or you know act heroically, or there's a dark horse. That, that nobody suspects, and so that's really what inspires me, and that's what I consider to be a good story. So I have to go, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing, where you, you just have to mine the material that you get to make sure that it actually is going to be a good story. Yeah, it's just smoking gun stories because you don't play too well. I have people, right. I have people go, boy, you'll like this one. So-and-so stabbed someone in the parking lot, and they caught him right away. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah right. great. Exactly. There's got to be a mystery. There's got to be some kind yeah. of intrigue to it. Yeah, and some, some character there that you can glom onto that there's something happening there, something moral, something in, with integrity or, or something transformative. It right. means that. Well, I, maybe you do the same thing. Uh, people ask me why I do this, and it certainly is for true crime writing, and it yeah. sure as hell isn't the money. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> uh, but I figure if I can elevate the person's death to the level of sacrifice, to where somehow some lives are saved or we learn something from this or something can be prevented, then they didn't die in vain. But uh, hopefully this hour hasn't been in vain. The book is called Prodigal Father, Pagan Son, Written with Greatness That Could Only Be Breached from Within by Carrie Drobin. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you. And the pictures are hot, Carrie. I got to oh, <laughs> I'll post some more on my right, website. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll uh, we'll have this up on the site soon for people who missed it first time around. Thanks again. We'll have you back on with the next book. Thank you. I appreciate it. You bet, Carrie. Bye bye. Next week, live in the lounge, returning because uh, Howard said, "Gee, you got to come back to the lounge." The attorney for John Wayne Gacy will be sitting right here in Matt Allen's Light in the Lounge. And, uh, oh, gee, we got so much good stuff coming up the next few weeks. Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, next. Got uh, Vivica Witsit, the tall lady of comedy. She's in a union, and she's black, and we're having her here. 